Hi, I'm Lauren Hunter. And I'm Kate Vlasic. And this is Generation BSC. Generation BSC, as you probably know, unless this is your first episode, so if it is, welcome, but Generation BSC is our podcast where on a bi-weekly basis, we revisit one book in the Babysitter's Club series, uh, book by book, discussing them, what we think of them now, what we thought of them, if we remember them from when we read them as kids, um, you know, sort of looking at it from our perspective as members of Generation BSC, which we have come to expand after we realized that anyone who grows up with the Babysitter's Club is part of Generation BSC. So that's what we are. That's what we do. (laughs) We're here today to talk about uh, book 24, which is Christy and the Mother's Day Surprise. So Lauren, anything to add before you dive into the back of the book? Well, the only thing I do want to mention just briefly before we kick off is we are hours post-season two renewal confirmation. So we are coming into today's episode with a lot of excited energy. So we're very excited for season two of the Netflix series. So that is that has been a really fun update in the last, what, like eight hours now that we've known that? 24 yeah. maybe? Well, yeah, it was like last night. So, but yeah, I definitely we've been sort of waiting with bated breath. I think everyone has been anticipating that Netflix would do the smart thing and pick it up for a second season, but we haven't had that official confirmation. So to actually get that last night, I think we were both very excited. I know everything on the internet, everyone's very excited and sort of like, finally, <laughs> just like we were feeling. So it's good to have that confirmation. Who knows when they'll actually get to start filming, hopefully sooner rather than later, but we will obviously stay on top of that and probably end up doing another mini so or a mini series like we did this summer. So look out for that whenever that comes out. <laughs> yes, but yeah, I, I think you're right. It's probably going to be a hot minute, but I'm where uh, I will be waiting mostly impatiently until then. Exactly. Um, but in the meantime, that does mean we get to continue on our book journey. Um, so I think it's going to be I, one of the reasons I brought it up is because I think we're sort of starting to reach a turning point in the book series where things are getting a little bit deeper. We're having some of the big um, sort of milestone things starting to happen in this one. We've got foreshadowing of another one coming up. Um, and I think it, it wasn't really our, in, well, maybe it was sort of intentional, but it was mostly luck, how we sort of, where we landed in terms of our book reading journey when the show came out we had we were sort of like just beyond where the show covered so mm-hmm. that was all relatively fresh for us I think it's going to be really interesting whenever season two comes out to see where we are in this um, process and see how that changes our relationship with the show if our understanding of the girls is different if we maybe are sick of some tropes by then how that's going to play out so I, I yeah I mean I'm, I know I'm getting way ahead of ourselves mm-hmm. but I'm really excited way excited about it so definitely and definitely just, excited to see which books they do like are they going to continue immediately after where they've finished? Are they going to sort of jump into the future so we get some more Christy or some more Jesse and Mallory's? I hope so, since they're part of the club now, but we will have to wait and see. (laughs) You know what? I'd be curious to see them just um, go off from the books entirely, like create some of their own plots. Like, Like we're seeing with a lot of these books, there's some great stuff in there, but a lot of it is pretty dated and we've just sort of moved past the understanding that um, uh, of the world that some of these books have a perspective. So it might be interesting to see them tackle just completely new stories and see what happens there. Um, so in any case, um, let's get back and focus on the actual book, as, as Kate mentioned, uh, number 24, Christy and the Mother's Day Surprise. So as our, is our custom, I'll kick us off by taking a journey to the back of the book. Mother's Day is coming up. 
and the babysitters have the same problem they do every year. What do they get their mothers? Christy especially wants to do something nice for her mom. Mrs. Brewer's been acting kind of strange and secretive lately, and Christy's worried about her. But then, Christy gets another one of her great ideas. Why don't the babysitters treat their moms and the mothers of all the kids they sit for to a day off without any kids around? Together with Stacy, the babysitters pl plans a gigantic babysitting party. It's a Mother's Day surprise that couldn't be beat until Christy's mom reveals a very special surprise of her own. Actually, I think this is, I think maybe my favorite back of the book description so far. It gets like the level of excitement right. It gets the focus right. It doesn't oversell anything. It doesn't I, I totally spoil the big twist at the end. Not twist, but the, you know, Christy's mom's surprise is not exactly revealed. We know there is a surprise, which is kind of nice that they don't sort of give away the entire plot for someone reading the back of the book to see if they want to read the book. Yeah, I, I you know what, I, I would stick with your twist assessment of that reveal at the end um, because the, the all the clues have been pointing towards pregnancy and then the, the adoption switcheroo comes in at the very end. Um, and I mean, I think it's very obvious to an adult reader what's happening. Um, they sort of talk about they keep bringing up adding to the family and everyone keeps saying, are you pregnant? And they keep being like, well, not a baby. Uh, you know, how would you feel mm -hmm. about another child? Not a baby. So like I think from an adult's eyes, it's it's very obvious what where this is going. Right. And with all the focus on them being on the phone a lot, you know, Edie and Watson are on the phone exactly. talking and, you know, Watson comes and gets That's her and it's like, true. this is the important phone call. And it's like, well, clearly they're getting the call that Emily Michelle's coming and you know she's joining their family so yeah but from a kid's perspective it is a little it is definitely a twist it's like oh she has a new sister but it's a, you know a baby that they adopted <laughs> which is not something that we've really seen in the babysitters club series up until now it's sort of not out of left field but you know all of the sort of additions to any family it's been you know people being pregnant and then giving birth and then now there's a baby and so it's or there's you know the blended family with Karen and Andrew joining Christie's family or I guess them joining together which obviously families are the big topic of this book so I'm sure we'll get into all of it but it is sort of fun that it's a new a new way to add to a family that we haven't seen in the series previously. I completely agree and I really think it's important for us to as, as critical as we can be sometimes to give credit where credit is due because yes, there are a lot of problematic things that we're finding as we go through these books, but they were pretty quietly radical in the late 80s and early 90s for just how normalized they made so many different types of families. There were, like you said, blended families and quote unquote um, normal nuclear families the way that you know media had always portrayed them to that point. They had adoption, we had different types of families, we had grandparents who lived in homes, um, and none of that was treated with any kind of like, let's have a conversation about what this is, mm -hmm. or that family's weird because of how they're structured. Um, everything was just sort of accepted as it is. And I think that that's maybe not at like a massive achievement in any way, but I think it is something important. Um, the way that it, I think it normalized divorce too, because it's strange to even think about now, but even when we were kids, divorce still was very stigmatized, at least mm -hmm. It, in my, I mean, coming from a very Catholic family, going to Catholic school from the time I was, my entire life, we'll put it that way. Um, and uh, it was very still stigmatized. So having 
I can't imagine having books like this where it was just, you know, it was hard and, and sad, but normal and nobody was judged for the type of family that they had, I, I think is really powerful stuff. So mm -hmm. I, let's, I, I don't want to gloss over that too much because I know we're sort of going to get into it with, with the Emily Michelle of it all. But I, I think that there are ways that that adoption storyline really sort of don't serve us well. Um, but the fact that the adoption is treated as so valid, so um, unquestioned as a, just a completely normal and natural way to build a family mm -hmm. is, I, I think, is, is a really good message for kids. Right. And well, and especially, um, like you said, we, we're definitely going to get into some of the maybe not problem, I guess pro kind of problematic aspects of Emily Michelle in particular being adopted. But, you know, for 1989, I, I think it's it is sort of groundbreaking you know like obviously people have been adopted children have been adopted for a long time it was not like you know this was the first time anyone had ever adopted a child and the babysitters club invented it or something but the fact that like you said they did present it as like she's now their sister she's part of the family like it's totally normal that you would add to your family in this way and like not even have it be a thing it's just it's pretty great and well yes looking back now there are some problematic aspects about how this is presented and sort of the the factual steps that they go through and joining her or you know bringing her into their family is uh, you know obviously <laughs> we're, we're looking at it from a different place but you know coming at it from the 1989 angle i think they definitely it was great that they they did this and made it normal for sure I think on a, a like a smaller scale too. I really enjoyed the way that that Christy sort of outlines and talks through the dynamics of their whole new blended family. The way that David Michael refers to Karen as his sister, you know, and not a stepsister. He just does so unquestionably. And there's still tension between them about you know your dad versus my mom is is not my dad, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so they're not. It's not glossing over it, but there's no like. There, there's tension, but it's not a hierarchy tension, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. which I think was a really was a really nice thing, too. But we are, I just realized, getting so far ahead of ourselves. Um, I read the back of the book, and we said it was accurate, but <laughs> we haven't actually explained what actually happens. Well, I, I will say it, it's it's reasonable that we did that because, like we said, the, the back of the book actually is pretty good. So the, the summaries that I put together are a little bit shorter than usual and maybe not quite as much funny commentary because they were pretty straightforward. But yes, we should definitely flesh it out because obviously the twist is not covered in the back of the book, whereas it is definitely covered in my summary because it is a big important part of the book. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, the Christie specific plot. Christy spends the plot ruminating on what a family is generally, and more specifically, what being a family means for her and her large blended family. There are some sad thoughts about them feeling like pieces that aren't fully connected rather than a whole cohesive unit. Although Christy comes up with a basic great idea for a Mother's Day surprise, we'll get into that in the general plot, as the Christy-specific Mother's Day surprise turns out to be exactly what we expected in our predictions from last week. Edie and Watson spend the book taking lots of phone calls and continuing to ask how the kids might feel about a new sibling before finally announcing on the day before Mother's Day that they've adopted a two-year-old girl from Vietnam that they've named Emily Michelle Thomas Brewer. Christy problematically ends the book with the revelation that she feels like although Edie and Watson's wedding should have brought them all together as a family, Emily and Michelle will hopefully quote-unquote unite them and quote-unquote bring them all together. 
Okay, so the Babysitter's Club generally in this book. Christy and the Babysitter's Club send a meeting a few weeks before Mother's Day, lamenting that they don't know what to get their respective moms for the holiday. This leads to Christy having a great idea to do a big event where they take all the kids they sit for and their younger siblings, if they have them, for a field trip so all the moms can have a day to themselves. The girls work together and come up with a plan to take 21 kids to the carnival, the playground, and back to Claudia's house for a full day the day before Mother's Day. Stacy comes to town for the weekend to finally visit and to help with a Mother's Day surprise. Claudia, Dawn, and Stacy make personalized brooches for their moms for Mother's Day, and Marianne decides to give her dad a book to celebrate the day since he's been her mom and dad for most of her life. Aw, the, the Marianne stuff is, is definitely a small runner in this, but I thought it was handled really, really nicely. Like, there's not a ton to say about it. It sort of is what it is, but I, I this is clearly not the book. We dig into that in more detail. In fact, right. I want to say there's another Mother's Day book later on that does maybe get into that. Or I, I could be remembering one of the other, you know, million YA series I read <laughs> as a kid. But in any case, I thought it was really sweet. I thought it was a nice show-don't-tell moment uh, throughout for Christy and Marianne's friendship where, like, Christy is very in tune to, like, she's sort of, I think it's unfair to herself about it. She keeps being like, oh, I keep forgetting about Marianne. But every time she does, she remembers pretty quickly and like makes sure to check in and but doesn't make a big deal out of it. Like Mm -hmm. is able to read Marianne and change the subject when necessary, comment on it when necessary and not. I I, I don't know. Maybe I'm overly um, looking for, you know good things for our girl Christy, especially after a rough <laughs> couple of outings. But I thought that was a really nice testament to how well they know each other and their mm-hmm. their deep history. Yeah. I, I think that was nice. I, I guess my only thing with the Marianne sort of sub-thread in this book is Marianne being Marianne, she would have been giving her dad Mother's Day gifts her entire life. Yeah. Like that. that's something that she – I mean – That's very true. From a practical perspective, from like a, you know – mirroring you know modeling behavior kind of situation i think it makes perfect sense that it's in this book because it's the first time we're really talking about mother's day in the babysitters club series there are going to be kids who are reading these books that only have one of their parents and maybe haven't had that thought so to see marianne come to that realization in this is is good for that but like going back to and we do this i think with almost every book is like these characters are they feel like real people to us and they feel like we know them well enough to know how they would or wouldn't act in situations. And in this particular situation, I feel like, like I said, I think Marianne, she wouldn't suddenly be like, I should get my dad a book for Mother's Day because he's been, you know, my only parent and been basically my mom and my dad for my whole life. So it, that's my only sort of issue with it. But that's really more just because I feel like Marianne is like more empathetic and thoughtful than that. <laughs> you know, that's so fascinating because you said that and that made total sense to me. I was like, yep, duh, obviously. And at the same time, it also made sense to me when reading it that she wouldn't have thought of it simply because I think that if there's a sort of illustration of traditional gender roles, it's definitely Mr. Mr. Spear. Um, and it's also, which it just feels weird to call him, because I, I just feel like there's such a distinction in my head between book Mr. Spear and Richard from the TV mm-hmm. show. It, like, they've sort of become separate entities for me. And I think book Mr. Spear is probably far more gendered, um, yes. at least in my brain. And he never felt warm or, like, never felt like he was taking on that mother role in any way. So I can see why she wouldn't have, like, immediately made that mm-hmm. connection. But now that you say, but you're exactly right. So I think, I, I don't know. I think that that's a, one of those, like, 
um, debatable moments. You could mm-hmm. pick your position, and and I, I can see either one. Uh, yeah. Clearly, no, I so. would agree with that. And I would also, yes, and that Book Richard definitely does not have an apron collection like Show Richard. <laughs> no. Hell no. You're There's exactly no right. chance. You're right. If it were Show Richard, she would have been given him Mother Day, Day presents. That relationship, absolutely. Um, but I don't, I don't think from the books we've seen nearly that level of warmth demonstrated to this point. And um, so I, I don't know that – anyway, interesting. I, I love when we both see the same thing and slightly just mm-hmm. like – it's not that we don't complete I, – I, I think it would be boring if we agreed with each other all the time. But, um, Definitely. Like, I love when we're on roughly the same page but we come at it from a slightly different way. It's one mm-hmm. of my favorite things about doing this with you. For sure. Agreed. So one of the big things that really stood out for me in this book that's sort of been building – and it's touching on something that you just mentioned about how we really feel like we know the girls and have connection to them. And I've been, clearly, we have felt that way from the beginning. We've talked about throughout our very strong relationships with them, our sometimes over-identification with them, you know, how how we really feel like we're part of the club, how, you know, there are girls, et cetera, that, that ownership. And I've been sort of examining as we go through just it in the background of my mind as I'm reading these why that is you know what is it about it that made these so big I mean really that's the question we're asking every week on, mm-hmm. on, a, on a like specific scale and what really hit me this week is you know I've pointed out we've talked about the 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 first person narrator a number of times and how it's allowed us to you know get to know the characters better by um you know, just whether or not they talk about fashion, that tells you something about the character, et cetera, et cetera. But I realized what it's also doing for us is really is, is drawing us in. The, every time the narrator's talking to us, they're talking to us as a friend. We feel like a confidant. Like Christy in this one feels like she is confiding in us throughout. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is such a simple, powerful, like it was such a duh, aha moment. I'm like, how, why have we not talked about this from the very beginning? Like, obviously, this is what it is. Um, but it just, I, I don't know why in this one it sort of snuck up on me and really struck me that it feels like a conversation with one of your best friends where she's filling you in on all the important details of her life. And that is, I think that's pretty magical um, in, in a big way for me anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely, because, and I, like you said, we've sort of touched on that where it does feel sort of conversational. And, you know, I can't remember which book it was, but maybe, maybe it was Dawn talking about, you know, how she lives in a, a farmhouse that has a secret passage, you know, and she's like, honest, you know, or like, I, I'm, I'm totally not making it up. And like, there, that's happened in several books. And I think it's really, it does feel like someone's, you know, sort of revealing themselves and revealing all of this information about their lives to you. And, you know, like you said, sort of bringing you into the fold and making you feel like you're part of it too. And it it really is pretty special that – and I, I guess I'm, I'm not even sure where I'm going <laughs> with, with – because I, you know, I said and as if I was about to go somewhere. But I think that one of the things that I really love about that sort of concept generally is the fact that – each of the girls has such a distinctive voice, like you said, and like I said, you know, we we know who they are. We we've gotten to know them better. We're getting to know them even better. We know sort of who they are, what they what they act like, what we expect from them in certain situations. And, you know, it's fun to get to read each of the books and sort of 
have each of the girls sort of take you aside and tell you a story about a week or two in her life and, you know, how she talks about her friends and how she talks about her family and how she talks about Stony Brook and the club. And it's it's fun to get those different perspectives. And I, I we have talked about that for sure before, you know, that it differs depending on who's talking, you know, what they say about each of the girls and how much fashion and, you know, how how deep they dive into the babysitters club and you know how how much you know importance they put on christy's great idea to come up with a club in the first mm-hmm. place you know is, is it christy saying i had this brilliant idea and came up with the club when i was watching my mom or is it you know mallory saying oh yeah you know christy had this idea and then the club was put together and then i got to join you know like it, it's sort of it's fun to get a little bit more into you know each of these books we we learn more and more about who each of these girls is each is are each of yeah Yeah, (laughs) who each each of these girls is because we get to sort of hear them talk to us and have that conversation with them and it you know deepens our love for them and our knowledge of them and you know seeing those connections among the girls it just sort of drives it home and you know makes us love them even more which makes us love the series even more and love talking about that even more so it's it's a nice sort of snowball effect that each book sort of makes us love this more and more which is hard to believe since you know we started the podcast because we already loved it so much and loved talking about it and wanted right. to talk about it with each other and so now you know finding that it's getting sort of reinforced every week is is really fun to discover I think it especially hit home for me this week because there was some really beautiful stuff specifically around Christy and fashion um, because whenever we get descriptions of Christy, like we call it out in our, our fashion watch, you, we make fun of the fact that she's wearing, you know, the, the Christiest of all Christy outfits, hat, sweatsuit, like combo, sneakers, maybe jeans and a, a sweatshirt, <laughs> turtleneck. Yeah. Like it's so, uh, that's everybody, the way people describe Christy, the way we talk about Christy would make us think that she has zero interest in fashion at all. And yet, when she's the narrator, we realize she has a deep interest in fashion. She gets is one of the most detailed, maybe even more so than Marianne, mm-hmm. in terms of like describing what people are wearing. And in this one, I, I noticed that early in this book, I had that thought. And then um, the second time she um, outlines a, a Claudia outfit, um, she fully acknowledges, I, I think I'm just jealous because I can't dress like that my my Mm -hmm. my brain just doesn't work in that way and I thought that was a really fascinating insight to get 24 books into this process that Mm -hmm. oh it's not that Christy doesn't care about fashion it's just that it's something that doesn't make sense to her and it's um, just easier to wear the same thing every day and not have to think about it because she can't really think about it because she doesn't really get it even though she appreciates it for sure. And it's the same way that she is, I think, with Bart. Like, she wants to like Bart. Like, early on in the book, she says, I'm not into boys or anything. And then later on, she brings up Bart of her own volition. Like, he's not really a plot in this book. Mm -hmm. She just mentions, oh, I wanted to go to a walk by his house. So, like, I think Christy um, is a really interesting character for a lot of reasons, some good, some bad. But I think one of the most fascinating things that I'm starting to really appreciate about her as we go forward is that she is a character in the midst of figuring out who she is like there are I think there are big parts core parts of who Christy is that are not going to change that need for control that big idea that entrepreneur like you know she's um well she's basically like what's the Theranos lady's name (laughs) Elizabeth Holmes (laughs) 
Holmes. <laughs> like I could, I could absolutely see Christy pulling an Elizabeth Holmes. Um, like just taking that if she indulged in some of her worst qualities, you know, went too far. Um, but I, I think we are seeing her like actively choose not to become that in mm-hmm. these books. Like, uh, so as much as we lamented Jesse's book, so we're now two books past that. We're, we have a little bit of distance from that big fight um, in Jesse's book and and where we spent a lot of time lamenting the fact that we weren't getting Christie's perspective. But I was really pleasantly surprised by how much have we got in this book about her perspective on that fight now, you know, weeks and potentially months later because, you know, who knows how time works in this universe. Um, <laughs> well, we do know it's Mother's but, Day. So <laughs> yes, we at least have a, a hard date in this one, which is fun. This is weirdly... Um, after going so hard in the opposite direction for so long, last month specifically called out spring break and this one and started talking about the end of the school year. Mm-hmm. And this one like got like real specific about Mother's Day. So they like, I guess, decided to lean into, oh, we're just going to do like cycles of years. But any in right. any case, sometimes these books are, you know, we've talked about the degree to which they are serialized. And I, I, I think it, it sometimes gets it right and sometimes leans too heavily in the, you know, everybody's into magic this week direction. (laughs) But this was a really nice, we got to see that Christy is still thinking about that fight, that the consequences of that fight are still top of mind for her. She, a number of times throughout the book, makes a comment like, I would, I want to just, you you know, jump in and take over, but I asked for a vote because I'm not, I'm trying not to be too bossy. Mm -hmm. Um, and I really appreciated that 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 was not just a one and done, just uh, that's being thrown off and going away. That we're feeling of the effects of it as we go forward now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was definitely nice. And although I will say, <laughs> sort of opposite of that, um, when Don has to collect the dues at one of the babysitters club meetings in this. Um, in this book, you know, everyone's sort of complaining about it. And and she's like, guys, you know, I hate this as much as you do. And it's sort of like, that was her big issue with being, or at least one of her big issues with being the treasurer in the big fight two (laughs) books ago. And they're all like, yeah, no, we'll be better about that. So it's it's funny that Christy's acknowledging I'm trying to be better, but like, when it comes to dues, the rest of the girls are still, you know, complaining, even they know, even though they know it's, you know, an important part of running this club, particularly in this book where they're the ones throwing this whole event for the kids that they babysit for and their siblings. It, you know, the fact that that sort of had that big backslide, but Christy is still working on herself, I think is a sort of interesting dichotomy. That's really funny. I hadn't really thought about that, but you're exactly right. Um that's really, really funny. Yeah. So, it, I, but I, I did appreciate the fact that when when Christy is doing her narration, we do get that sort of reiteration of, "I'm trying to be better. I don't want to try to control everything." And so it's it, that was a nice um, sort of insight, since, like you said, we didn't get that because Jesse was the narrator of the book where they had the fight. I mean, I, I think maybe we can transition to sort of the overarching family discussion about this book, because I think that's sort of the other thing that Christy really focuses on. Obviously, she, you know, she's working on herself with the club. She's working. On, she comes up with this great idea for the the Mother's Day surprise for everyone. But I think it's really sort of interesting. Um, you know, we get multiple descriptions throughout this book from Christy of her family and 
um, like I said in, in the summary, you know, one of those descriptions is sort of that they feel like they're pieces that yeah, I think I think she maybe describes it as pieces of the same shirt that hasn't been fully sewn back together yet. Yeah. And, you know, she she's sort of lamenting the fact that she's she loves her family. She feels very at home in her family, but she doesn't necessarily feel like she always fits or that they always fit together. Um, and I guess sort of backtracking from that at the very beginning of the book, she she does that sort of conversational thing we were talking about. And she's like, wait, I should back up. Let me tell you who my everyone in my family is, because she's sort of referencing, you know, Karen and Andrew and Sam and Charlie. And it's like, wait a minute, I need to tell you guys who they are in case you don't know them already. And, you know, she goes through that whole description. She then describes the Babysitter's Club members and includes them as part of her family and then says, well, she I also have my biological father. I can't remember exactly how, what she calls him. I don't think she calls him her biological father. But then she basically and I did copy and paste this, so I think I should read this for everyone. But. Um, she goes through and she says, and there's my real father. Okay. She says real father. There's my real father. But no, he doesn't count. Somebody who never writes, never calls, never remembers your birthday, never says he loves you, doesn't count at all. So it's really sort of nice. And I obviously this sort of goes to the whole over- overarching conversation about family and chosen family and what is a family and all of that, because she does include the babysitter's club in her family. She doesn't include her biological father in her family because he's not a part of her life in the way that you would want your family to be. And I just, I sort of love that. And I love that throughout this whole book, she's sort of thinking about what a family is. And obviously Emily Michelle joins the family and she hopes that Emily Michelle will be the thing that brings them all together, which sort of gives me icky vibes. But I do love that she's sort of thinking about family and helping kids reading think about family as well. I don't know if you had any thoughts on family generally. I did. I really, I, well, I really loved the chosen family theme. Mm -hmm. Um, and it really resonated strongly with me, um, for a lot of reasons, but the biggest is this is the first real time that I felt like the fact that Anna Martin is queer informed what was going on in the story. So we talked about that when we very first started this process that we, you know, we were really excited that she had come out and, you know, that queer icon and we stand and blah, blah, blah. But it hasn't really come up again as we've been talking through these books. We've, you know, we've made some jokes about, well, I've made some jokes about, you know, who's bi and who's not. And we haven't really talked about Anna Martin's presence as the author and, and her queer identity and whether or not that's informed anything. And I think that was really on my mind for this one because mm-hmm. the idea and the concept of chosen family is so important for the queer community because so many people are are in much worse situations than Christy, but that the that idea of her, quote, real father not being a part of your family, I think that that is such a, a powerful, and, and maybe it was, was not a conscious decision that way, but I think that that's such a, a powerful concept to, to tell people it's okay. Your blood family doesn't have to be the be-all, end-all. And mm-hmm. if they reject you, if they don't accept you for who you are, if they can't see you and cheer for you and be on your side no matter what then you have the ability to make a family for yourself and I really think that that's one of the core parts of Christie's character and I think that um that is such a, a beautiful beautiful thing and mm-hmm. yeah maybe it's not always expressed super elegantly it it, it did it was I I don't think the again intention versus impact I I preach it in class I I 
don't believe the intention around the idea of Emily Michelle bringing them together was meant to be icky. It does feel a little like, wow, that's a lot of pressure to put on a baby that was, you know, taken from their homeland and brought to a new country. And like that, that's a very weird, you're right. It doesn't sit quite exactly right. I think the intention behind it, the idea that she is, that their family wasn't complete until mm-hmm. she was a part of it, I think is a really, um, a really neat concept as well. I and, and just the idea that making room for other people, that your family doesn't have to be a static thing, that it can grow mm-hmm. and change and there's space to let people in. And, and and in fact, that letting in, there's power in that that can make your family unit stronger. So I, which is again, powerful because I feel like so many, hopefully not as much anymore, but certainly at this time, so many queer kids grew up feeling like me, like they couldn't acknowledge what was going on. Like they couldn't be fully themselves and having not even connecting it to that, but I definitely internalized the that that concept um, hugely and found family, chosen family has been an incredibly important and impactful part of my life. And I really, it's funny, I realized I was tying it back to here. And that, so it was, I really, if it hasn't been clear, because I sort of, normally I tell you right from the jump, like, I loved this one, I hated this one. Um, I hmm. really, I really enjoyed this one. I think this was one of the favorite ones that I've read so far um, on, on for a lot of different reasons, but that was sort of the biggest one for me. What about you? What was, you talked about the family aspect of it, but was, did it hit as hard for you or was it, was this just sort of a okay one? I mean, I, I definitely enjoyed this book a lot. I obviously... Well, maybe not obviously, but, um, you know, the chosen family thing, I think it doesn't necessarily resonate as much with me as it does with you. I I do feel like I have a chosen family. I think a lot of people of our generation do. Um, But I think because I and I I don't know how to say this exactly, because I don't want to say that your family is not supportive. So you had to find a chosen family. But like I because I never felt growing up like I didn't fit in maybe some of the ways that you have mm-hmm. said in the past that you felt. Um, I never had necessarily as much of a drive that I needed to seek that family, you know, family feeling outside of my biological family, blood family, um, mm-hmm. at least my immediate family. I I don't have the same type of relationship with my extended family that you have, you know, with some of your cousins or quote unquote cousins, you know, you have still yeah. really strong relationships with, with them. And like, I have very strong relationships with my immediate family, but my extended family is sort of, they're there. And, but since all of my grandparents have passed away, there's not as much regular FaceTime or visiting with them. Mm-hmm. So I think because I have a strong immediate family, I didn't necessarily feel the drive to seek out that chosen family, like I said. Um, but I do have a chosen family, obviously. You know, all of our friends, um, other friends that yeah, are, sure. you know, a different friend group than, you know, all of that. Um, I, I mean, I think one of the things, and this is sort of a, a side topic in this book, but there's a few references to sort of nostalgia and thinking back on the way that things used to be and how things have changed and, um, you know, how time moves on and, you know, things are different but they're not necessarily better or worse because we get Christy sort of remembering her house across the street and growing up there and how great it was when she goes to one of the meetings at Claudia's house she sort of gets there a little early and she looks across the street and she's like 
you know, I, I remember living there. I really miss that house. But then she also talks about how she loves her house now. And then, you know, when Stacy comes back, you know, Jesse, I had totally forgotten. Obviously, I knew it because she mentioned it um, in her first book. But, um, you know, Jesse moved into Stacy's house and Jesse has Stacy's old bedroom. And, you know, she talks about, you know, how she likes the room. And Stacy says that, you know, she likes she liked that room in Stony Brook more than she likes her current bedroom in New York City. And so I, I really sort of I think I related a little bit more to that just because I am such a nostalgic person. I, you know, I, I, I don't know if it's the, you know, Marianne and me, because I think, you know, she sort of romanticizes the past, even though she wasn't necessarily one that did it here. Um, but I think that sort of spoke to me a lot. I think there's also, um, you know, Stacy remembering the first time that she met Claudia, the first time she met Charlotte. I think that I think resonated more with me just since I, I tend to sort of reflect on where things were and where they're going and how I've gotten to where I am and <laughs> all of that. So I think that was sort of the thing that I really took away from this. Obviously, I, I, I did take away the family stuff, but the, the nostalgia piece, I think, was um, hit a little bit closer to home for me. Go figure you related to the Marianne slash Stacey <laughs> aspects, and I was all in on the Christie story. And, you know, it's really funny. I, I love when we get to talk about stuff like this because – it's it's interesting to get a different perspective on things and i realized that my my desire for chosen family is almost a, a weird dichotomy because it is partially born out of the fact that in a lot of ways i was kind of the odd man i am kind of the odd man out in my mm-hmm. immediate family and and so that that drove me to find you know places where where i could feel more fully understood I guess and that doesn't mean my family does not love me right they just we're just different but at the same time um my parents are uh, are incredible friends and have had incredible friends for their entire life and really modeled that idea of like building your family and not letting them go like I not only have my big extended family, but like my parents have a friend group that they've had for literally their entire lives that mm-hmm. all have kids at the same time. And we all grew up together. They're incredibly close with their, they've been lived in our in their neighborhood for, oh gosh, 25 years now, I think. And are like still really close friends with everybody who lives in that neighborhood. Even people who have like moved away mm-hmm. when I was 10, those families are still really close. So that was just sort of something that was built into my family DNA. I didn't sort of realize that that wasn't something everybody had for a long time. So mm-hmm. I think that's, I've, I've never really thought about that before. I've never really looked at that, um, those two different aspects of it. But I think that's really interesting that in some ways it was my family that made me want to seek out a chosen family, but it was also my family that showed me how powerful that could be. So, right. Wow. That's, a, that, that's a lot to unpack there. Oh boy. I'm going to have a good <laughs> therapy session next week. <laughs> Definitely. So we've circled around it and we've touched on some of the problematic aspects, but let's talk a little bit more about the adoption and Emily Michelle, because there are some other things that we didn't really get into. And I think the biggest one for me that we haven't really talked about yet is the level of privilege that this adoption sort of highlights. And I think also the fact that going in, linking into that nostalgia, that idea that, you know, Christy being wistful for her, for her home, for her old home and Stacy remembering. And, and, you know, they, they often talk about her moving to a mansion, but they don't really acknowledge that she, it wasn't like she was moving from poverty to a mansion. She was, you know, coming from 
one upper middle class neighborhood to an upper class neighborhood like which is is something that we've talked about but they they just don't get into a lot but i think it's it's a pretty glaring omission to not talk about what their wealth and power do for the adoption process Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. I don't know too much about the adoption process. So obviously, I, I, again, not maybe not obviously to everyone listening. If you if this is your first episode, welcome, like Kate said. But I definitely do not have children, um, nor do I particularly want them. So adoption has never been a huge part of my life. I've known people who've been adopted. I've known people who've gone through adoption process, but never anyone I was like super close with to, to know all the ins and outs, mm-hmm. other than to know that in real life, it seems far more complicated than this. <laughs> what about you? Do you have any additional insights? Yeah, I, I mean, I was gonna say I don't have a ton of firsthand experience with this, but I do know, and I'm certain that this was the case even in 1989. You don't just have a series of phone calls and then a baby shows up on an airplane. <laughs> like, it's even with the copious amounts of wealth that that Watson and Edie have, it, there's there's you know home visits and there's interviews and you know references and certainly someone would have met their ch- the rest of the children. I was just going to say, 100%. and I'm guessing there would have been more than like. I, I, again, I I my family. I, I have a, a cousin who was adopted, but they lived in New York. So I I mean I know him. I've met him many many times. He's part of my family. But like I was. I think I was like 10 when they adopted him and we were far away. So it was exactly I was not involved in the process or, you know, able to even sort of witness the process firsthand. But I would imagine that if you are, you know, a blended family adopting a child, there would be more groundwork laid with the kids and they I would assume that the adoption agency would insist that there would be this sort of groundwork laid to sort of explain to these kids more than 24 hours before their new sister is going to show up and join their family you know what's going on what this means what adoption even is I mean Andrew's what four how does he even really like he doesn't understand it they sort of make that clear throughout the end of the book after they after Edie and Watson say that they're you know adopting a sister he's sort of like what do you what do you mean and like what happened to her parents and so it's sort of Mm -hmm. it's a little shocking that it's just sort of like you're getting a sister she's coming tomorrow the end like it's crazy that there's and obviously, this isn't a book about a child being adopted, really. So I, I understand why they didn't go into all of the, like, ins and outs and nitty gritty. But it's presenting this as if you can just sort of make a couple phone calls and you get a sister. And it's it doesn't work that way, yeah. even if you're as rich as they are. And you know what? I think it would have been interesting. Like, I, I think that the twist as a story device worked well. Mm-hmm. But again... Um, as, as is sometimes the case with these books, those little throwaway moments or those side stories are the ones that I'm more interested in. And I'm like, no, no, explore that. Like, as much fun as the and very classic Babysitter's Club in, in terms of this, like, plot, it's classic Babysitter's Club. We get Stacy back. We get the big event. We get a Christy idea. Every You know, all the kids come together. It's mm-hmm. It almost felt like a super special in some ways. So it's a little disappointing that they plopped adoption in there at the end of that such an overfilled book right. because I think it does deserve a lot more attention and I think it would be really fascinating to you know have a whole book about the process and really talk to the kids about not only what it means to adoption but adoption from a foreign country I think that's mm-hmm. a whole other aspect that is just completely ignored 
I, I mean, they mentioned she's from Vietnam, so you were right that I was, um, <laughs> my China guess was off. I, I think that that was sort of a missed opportunity to talk about, regardless of where the child came from, um, foreign adoptions are not uncommon. And I think it would have been a great chance to talk to kids about that. Um, and I this one I think is I have a little bit more feeling about because I did a, a girl that I went all the way through grade school and high school with and was friends with. Her family adopted uh, her sister from Russia when we were in grade school. And I remember it was a very big deal and their family tried to be as respectfully as humanly possible. And like I remember Mary talking about learning about Russia and like where mm-hmm. her sister came from and like all of that to prepare them and to to make her really feel welcome. And there's literally none of that it happening in this book and I again we get so little of it it's hard to um make judgments but in, it, it does feel a little bit icky like accessory that we're just going to add on to our family and I think that that's not fair to who the characters are and what their intentions are I think that that's more again in a result of how it's framed as a plot device rather than actually given its due mm-hmm. um but I I would be really I'd be I hope we get a book that goes more into that later on is well, she's never going to get older, so. <laughs> right. But but some sort of acknowledgement of her Vietnamese heritage and, you know, I think and I think I put in our recording guide, the, you know, the fact that they named her Emily Michelle before they even met her, mm-hmm. like completely just disregarding, I'm sure she has a name already. She's two. And, right. And yeah. she, she can speak. And I'm certain Maybe this is me just assuming things, but I think it is highly unlikely that Edie or Watson speaks any Vietnamese. So the fact Mm, that they're bringing this child to their home to join their family, she can communicate, but she won't be able to communicate with them because she doesn't speak English and they don't speak Vietnamese or any other language that maybe she learned, you know, in Vietnam, wherever she was. So it's just a little bit disappointing and again this goes back to the fact that it was 1989 so people didn't necessarily have those same considerations about maintaining that tie to where a child came from when they were adopted but it's really frustrating that they hadn't even met her they didn't there's not even a reference to the fact that you know aside from being like oh she's Vietnamese like she has this whole culture and this whole life before she came to join their family and they don't even acknowledge it. And it's so frustrating. Well, and I think it's, it's all about where the focus is because the focus is so much on Christy and Edie and Watson Mm -hmm. and no focus on Emily Michelle. There's no thought to what this is like for her. There's no thought to, um, you know, what this means for her life. Like, at the very end, Christy acknowledges that she's lucky to be a part of the family because they're lucky to have her, mm-hmm. which is a sweet sentiment. But at the same time, what does Christy actually know about her other than she's here? What does anybody know about her? Like, I think that She's that's not even awake. The... We don't even see Emily Michelle awake in this book. Like, Christy even says, like, I wish I could see her eyes because you can tell a lot about a person by seeing their eyes. So she's she's saying all these things and you know saying we're so lucky to have her she's so lucky to have us she hasn't even actually met her like she, emily michelle exactly has not right. seen any of that obviously i'm assuming she's seen edie and watson since they went to the airport and picked her up from whoever was bringing her from vietnam or wherever she was before they adopted her like there i have so many questions about this whole process 
Yeah, like, why didn't they go pick her up and travel with her? Well, exactly. Because that's, like, a thing. Like, there are a couple, like, bloggers that I used to follow before Instagram was a thing that I sort of started following. And they have adopted kids from China. And they were, like, in China for a month to, like, yeah. acclimate, get to know the child before they're, like, coming home with them and, like, maybe – learn more about the culture to the extent that they haven't had as much opportunity before they go over. But a lot of times they were already trying to do as much sort of learning on their own before they even go to China. And there's a whole process to like, you know, birth certificates and passports. And it's just the fact that <laughs> Emily Michelle just like shows up at the airport. Now she's there. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that I, I don't know how much is like just adult perspective because like clearly right. none of that occurred to me as a kid. But I, I just rem- like that's the tension between like, well, they're kids books. How much do they do we really need to get into all of that? And at the same time, I think that in some ways we these books talk so uh, make it such an effort to not talk down to kids, to, mm-hmm. to talk to them on their level, to treat them like human beings, small human beings and not, you know, some weird hated species that people have to put up with the way that so often people do which side note do you get that all the time when people know that you don't want kids they assume that you like hate them and think they're terrible and I'm like oh oh, yes don't want them myself yes I love kids I just don't want my kids yeah (laughs) exactly drives me me up for hanging out with kids I love kids but I I don't want to bring them home with me like I was showing somebody a bunch of pictures of my nephew the other day and they're like oh you have a lot of pictures for someone who doesn't want kids and I was like yeah, I still love my nephew. Anyway. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. To, to, Definitely understand. <laughs> so, um, in any case, they do a, a really good job of treating kids like real people. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's always a little disappointing when they miss what seems like it could be a really good opportunity to to talk to them on that level about some really important things. And again, I think you're right. It's probably just a product of the time. For example, this is a storyline I'm really looking forward to, to go back to where we started um, in season two, to see how they tackle this. Because I think the level of care that the show has demonstrated to updating some of these Mm -hmm. concepts that uh, appear in the original book is a really great, I'm eager to see what they do with it. Definitely agree. It wouldn't surprise me if this book were somehow the finale of season two, because I feel like Edie and Watson got married at the end of season one. Adding Emily Michelle to their family, I think, would be because it's sort of interesting. Like, Christy's not the main character, but like a lot of the action in the first season was sort of driven by, you know, her mom's marriage and all of that. So I think it, mm-hmm. I'll be interested to see if they sort of continue that. Um, I do think it would be sort of interesting to have a through line, like sort of like there was a through line with Edie and Watson's marriage and blending of their families, like a through line of them going through the process of adopting sort of like in the background, you know, they're having a site visit and, you know, the kids are all sitting down and having a conversation and then, you know, Edie and Watson go to whatever country they adopt from or maybe they adopt from within America because I think that would be sort of an interesting um, mm-hmm. way to sort of transition the storyline to not make it be about someone from a different culture by being from a different country, but maybe someone who's from a different culture, but who is from America. I, I, I don't know. I, I would, yeah. I, I definitely feel like this Emily Michelle plotline will be a part of season two because I think it is sort of a big 
next step for the the brewer Agreed. family so i'll be interested to see if they they pull that in and if they do how um and it's funny i just was watching uh this is us came back this week and they had the adoption plot line going in but they're choosing the the same route that the book went just magically at the end of the first episode we got the baby <laughs> like, oh good okay <laughs> how nice oh good convenient um, literally they have a like under one year old special needs child like really <laughs> that they're gonna <laughs> you just snap anyway. your fingers and you have a new baby again privilege and also television storytelling they don't want right. to deal with ugh, that's messy and obnoxious to deal with all of that details but anyway one other uh thing that i i hate to bring up but we really have to is there was a lot a lot of foreshadowing in this book and I did not realize we were getting so close to the event that we have been dreading since we started this podcast. Mm-hmm. Mimi is going downhill and she's going downhill fast. Yeah. And so we know it's not the next book because we know what that title is because we're about to give predictions for it. We know it's not Claudia and the Sad Goodbye, but I'm pretty sure that's the one after. I think are we only two books away? Yep, we are. I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. We've We've got one and then we've got the sad one the really 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 sad one so i'm really looking forward to that one um in the coming weeks seeing as how we are less than um a week out from the election anyway so i don't think we need to really dwell on that now other than to acknowledge it would be strange if we just completely ignored it but Mm -hmm. well and there's also to sort of make it less sad there's also the foreshadowing that Stacy that is very references true. the fact that her parents have been fighting a lot, and her mom wishes that she could have come to Stony Brook with Stacy because she really loves Connecticut, which is obviously laying the groundwork for Stacy's parents to get divorced and her mom and Stacy to move back to Stony Brook because, and I think we maybe have even mentioned this in the past, like Stacy's family has no ties to Stony Brook other than the fact that her dad's job was transferred to Connecticut and it made sense for them to live there. Um, so I, it sort of was a, a little bit of a throwaway, like, oh, yeah, her mom loves Stony Brook. So at least we sort yeah. of have a little bit of groundwork as to why they would move back. But at least that's a happy thing that's going to happen as opposed to what we're dreading in two books. <laughs> that's very true. You know what I was thinking about the Stacy foreshadowing is – how telling it is how much of that we've gotten about her you know not really being gone and then i'm you know contrasting that with dawn who eventually is just gone and and stays gone i I mean stays part of the universe but you know doesn't move back and uh i you know what i noticed is that stacy when she goes to new york the whole club goes to new york her the book in new york is everybody's there but dawn's Mm -hmm. book in california is is just Dawn. I mean, we eventually get all the girls from the club there. And and that continues to happen even after, you know, she moves back, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. But I, I thought that was interesting that I think that that groundwork is already sort of being laid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that was, I thought that was fascinating. I'm, I'm really curious about how those choices were made, like what the thought process w- was behind there. Again, ugh, I would love to have a whole like four hour sit down, pick her brain mm-hmm. with our darling Anne. Um, oh, because I did, I neglected to mention at the beginning, because uh, I always forget, um, <laughs> this was actually written by Anne M. Martin. Do you have the date? I do. It was May of 1989. I, I just realized just now that I had forgotten to mention that at all. But yeah, I was thinking about that with Stacy and Dawn. Um, I think that's sort of a fascinating, what were the choices there? But I also realized I would sort of been um, 
not not making fun of the fact, but I, I sort of called out the fact that, you know, Stacy moved away and then moved back. And, you know, you were even calling out the fact that there's no real reason for Stacy to move back to Stony Brook. Right. And, and, you know, like that sort of is that setting unrealistic expectations for kids. But honestly, in my neighborhood, we had two like major families move away when I was young. And one of them was not gone for more than a couple of years. And now they're back in Cincinnati, obviously not in the same neighborhood, but um, still there. And one did move away and stay away, but stayed part of the the big group of people. So I was like, huh, I do have my very own yeah. Stacy and Dawn. It's not totally unrealistic. Yeah, which is funny. Speaking of chosen family. Exactly. Do you have any random thoughts, questions, comments, concerns about the book generally that we want to touch on before fashion, obviously? <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, no, I've just been holding my breath and waiting for fashion. I think all of my like random thoughts got tied into our bigger discussions. Just want to call out again, like I said, this one has was more specific about timeline than we have been in a while. There are a couple of references to it. Uh, we know Mother's Day, obviously, that it happens on Mother's Day. Um, we know that this the book starts in April, that Christy has been gone from her house for a little less than a year. So we're get, getting like very strict markers, which I think is really fascinating because we're about to go reset. Like you would think that they would get uh, further away from those specific markers as we got closer to a reboot. Not a reboot, but like a time reset. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead it got more specific. So that that was just the big thought about that. Before we get into fashion, I have one real quick aside. Um, there's a bunch of like sort of cheesy jokes in this book, which like I love dad jokes. I, I'm obsessed with dad yes. jokes. Um, my favorite one, just to call it out, <laughs> when they're eating dinner, Sam says, Karen, your epidermis is showing. And she like freaks out because she doesn't yes. know what that is. And it's like, it's your skin. And she's like, oh my God, I'm going to use that joke. Like, I remember that joke from when I was a kid. I loved that joke. And the mm-hmm. fact that it was, I probably got it from reading this. So it's just reading that again. I was like, oh, I love it. I love it so much. So I just had to call that out because there's some some silly jokes in this book. And I appreciated that one the most. <laughs> Yes, thank you, thank you. I would that would have been very sad if we didn't share that because that did it tickled me as well. Tickled. Am I eighty five years old? What what happened there? It works. We'll go with it. We'll go with it. <laughs> tickled it is. Well, I'm so excited for fashion for this one because, like I said, Christy does kill it with the descriptions. And- okay. Well, I will say there is, like you said, a lot of fashion, so I'm not going to read all of it. But I will just sort of generally say one of the first, um, it might be the first Babysitters Club meeting that we see in this book. Christy goes through every single girl's outfit and describes it very vividly. And so I I really, again, it's very sort of interesting because in the past, Christy has definitely not had quite as much of a focus. And I think, like you said, in this one, it really sort of drives it home that like she does recognize fashion and she does appreciate it. She just doesn't get it for herself. So I think it, it, as I was reading this, it was sort of like I kept having to, you know, copy and paste and put it in my little spreadsheet and be like, oh my gosh, there's another one and another one. And this is a Christie book? What? So it's just sort of funny. But I do, I, I did sort of note that as well, that it's, she sort of does express the interest, but doesn't get it for herself. So it's fun to see all these descriptions. So I have... Four highlighted, both of Claudia, actually two of Claudia's three, although one is only talking about her earrings. So I'll just go in sort of chronological order from the book. The first two are from that meeting where she's sort of running through all of the girls. So the first is Dawn. Dawn was wearing a necklace too, only hers said, I'm awesome. 
Honest. Where had she gotten it? California, probably. And in her double-pierced ears were hoops of different sizes. See what I mean about Dawn being an individual? Also, she was wearing a fairly tame dress, but on her feet were plaid high-top sneakers. Like, love it. Love that outfit for Dawn. I love that she has a necklace that says, I'm awesome. Like, I want one now. I just, I love it. I know. That was amazing. For sure. Okay, so then she next describes Claudia. Then there was Claudia. She was wearing a pretty tame dress, too, with a red necktie. Then she had on these new, very cool roll socks. When she pushed them down just right, they fell into three rolls. The top roll was red, the middle one was peacock blue, and the bottom one was purple. She looked as if she were wearing ice cream cones on her feet. In her hair was a braided band in red, blue, and purple, like her socks. And dangling from her ears were, get this, spiders in webs. Ew. But they were pretty cool. The thing with this one was those socks. Like, I remember that distinctive description of like the three rolls of socks like because it's so I don't remember ever seeing that as a kid but I remember like wanting to see them and possibly have them because they seemed like cool because obviously they were cool because Claudia was wearing them but like I I would I definitely wanted to try that look like that was something as a kid I was like I could try that so I definitely did try that I had like multiple pairs of socks that I like tried to put on at the same time and like fold over it did not (laughs) spoiler go particularly well but I think for me the two most iconic Claudia things are those socks and the snake bracelet and we it was not the same outfit but we do get both of them in this book yes we do get the snake bracelet because that is in the other outfit I was going to describe Oh, good. Because you have to talk about Stacey's too, because the two of them together. Oh, yes. Because I, I even in my list amazing. have Stacey and Claudia as one thing, because it's just one description of both of them. They're, I was like, I'm not separating nice. these. Because, so this is when Christy is describing what um, she has decided to wear for this Mother's Day surprise excursion, and which is obviously her usual. I guess I can read that really quick. I dressed in my jeans and running shoes, a t-shirt with a picture of Beaver Cleaver on it, and my collie dog baseball cap. Then I added my SHS Stony Brook (laughs) High School sweatshirt that used to belong to Sam since the weather would probably be chilly in the morning. So that's what Christy is wearing. And then she goes on to say about Stacy and Claudia. Stacy, however, put on a tight-fitting pink jumpsuit over a white t-shirt, lacy white socks, and these plastic shoes. What are they called? Jellies? And Claudia wore a pale blue baggy shirt over black and blue leopard spotted pants that tied in neat knots at her ankles. On her feet, she wore purple high tops, and they both wore all this jewelry and these accessories, like big, big earrings and headbands with rosettes on them and nail polish. Claudia even wore her snake bracelet. Honestly, what did she think we were going to do? Enter a fashion show? Perfect quintessential Stacey and Claudia. So perfect. And that was right after that was when she was like, I... I, I think she said, I'm, I'm jealous or something like that. That's why she was throwing a little bit of shade. Because, yeah, I was like, uh, I remember feeling like that as a young girl. Like, uh, what? who who are they trying to fool? Right. And then, but really, it was because. But really, I was it's like, like oh, I wish I, I wish could I do could. that. Yep. Exactly. Um, the jellies. I definitely owned a pair of jellies. Did you? Oh, yeah. Oh, I had so many pairs of jellies over the years. Like from Me too. a small child up until like middle school. In various iterations. I had ones with heels in middle school. I thought it was so cool. Like platforms. Oh my god, I was just going to say, I had my very first pair of high heels were jellies. And I thought I was the coolest thing in the world. I wore those to dances. Actually, that reminds me, um, we didn't talk about the fact what they actually did on their trip. They went to a carnival. And that just took me back to, um, in southern Ohio where I grew up, 
uh, the thing in the summer was church festivals. Every weekend, a different Catholic church in Cincinnati's area had a church festival. And it was basically a carnival like this. But um, the St. Susanna's one at, had a junior high dance at the end of their carnival because it was like back to school. And I definitely wore my platform heeled jellies to one of those and felt like the coolest girl in the entire world. And I promptly fell down, of course, because I couldn't walk it <laughs> up. <laughs> that happens. You got to learn how to do that. <laughs> yep. I never really mastered that. You did. Me, me not so much. Yeah, I'm, I've, I've got that down to a science. So I mean, maybe not a science. I just know what I'm doing. It's, it's like instinct at this point. So I will take it because I love me some, some platforms and some wedges for sure. So I guess at this point, we want to maybe talk about our predictions for Marianne and the search for Tigger. Any thoughts? I, whew, I, you know what? I'm going to take a big swing here. I think Tigger gets lost. <laughs> wow, big swing. Yep, I really, I really do. Um, no, I'm just, <laughs> I actually do vaguely remember this one. I remember Tigger getting lost. I remember mm-hmm. that being really traumatic. I remember the post, and you know, like that they made posters and, they, yeah. and like all the different things that they did to get him back. But I just, I don't remember any of the details, just the broad strokes like that. That's kind of the extent of it. Um, yeah. What about this one for you? Is that one that sticks out? Yeah, I was going to say, same for me. I just sort of have the, <laughs> you know, swinging for the fences like you. I have sort of the broad overarching Marianne is searching for Tigger, which obviously is the name of the book. But yeah, I, I distinctly remember the... Um, the, the lost posters and everyone hanging them mm-hmm. up. And um, I feel like that's probably on the cover of the book. Um, I didn't look at the cover of the book before making my Same. predictions. But I yeah, try not to. I try not to as well because um, it's usually <laughs> – it'll it'll jog my memory because once I do look at it, I'm like, oh, right, it's this one. Um, it's that yeah, one. It's, I do the same thing. Yeah. So I, I think it's – yeah. I, I'm sure there are subplots that we could never in a million years predict off the top of our head, but – we will find out next week, I suppose, or two weeks from now. Yep. I'm super excited because if we're searching for Tigger, Mimi is still alive. So <laughs> Yes. We have we have that reprieve for, for one week. Stay of execution. Oh no, don't not stay of execution. No, <laughs> don't say terrible. that. No, nope, nope. Bad. Bad, bad, bad. Um I just realized too, it's been a hot minute since we've had a Marianne book. It feels like you know I know it's been a minute since we've had a Christie too because of the way the rotation works however because she was such a big focus in the Jesse book it doesn't feel like it's been as long Mm -hmm. whereas it just it feels like a long time since we've checked in with Marianne so I'm excited to to spend some time with our favorite Feely yep definitely agree it'll be nice to get back to her for me in particular since I love her so much and she's my I was gonna say my person <laughs> she's my girl so it'll it'll be fun love to it. see how she handles Tigger going missing and presumably being found and coming home so oh you know what I'm gonna make another prediction I think that Marianne initially kind of crumbles but finds some of her inner strength and um, steps up to rescue Tigger in some way. I think that is a reasonable <laughs> prediction. <laughs> so we will we will find out when we read before our next episode, and then we will be back to discuss. Can't wait. So I guess any other final club business? Um. Well, I will remind everyone where they can find us, because as much fun as we have talking to each other about this, it's even more fun when we get to include you in the conversation. So um, check us out on Instagram or Twitter at Generation BSC. 
Or you can email us at generationbsc at gmail.com. That was a lot of ats, but I think you got it. (laughs) And don't forget to rate and review on iTunes, too, if you have a second. That really helps us out. Okay, so with that, I'm Kate Vlasic. And I'm Lauren Hunter. And this episode of Generation BSC is now adjourned. Say hello to your friends.